Welcome to the Financial Flossing Podcast with Ross Brannan, guiding dental professionals to a brighter future. Ross Brannan is a financial advisor who knows it's not just about your teeth. He helps dental practice owners protect and maximize today's cash flow to plan for tomorrow's cash needs. Find him at rossbrannan.com. On the show, he brings together experts to help dental professionals looking to make smart money decisions to grow their income, turn their retirement goals into reality, and improve their lives. And now, here's your host, Ross Brannan. Welcome to the show. Today, I have Chip Fitchner, co-founder of Large Practice Sales, which is an advisor exclusively to dentists with over $500,000 of EBITDA. He has a lot of really cool things to share with us today. Chip, welcome to the show. Thank you. I appreciate it. So let's start off by talking about what large practice sales does, because one thing I have noticed in my uh, time in the dental world is there is uh, there is quite a differentiation between brokers and advisors and whatever someone calls themselves. And you guys kind of stand above most everyone else in this space. So talk about what you guys do. Well, we specialize in transactions for doctors where they are creating a partnership with groups that we call invisible dental support organizations. So these are groups that do not buy 100% of any practice. They are going to come in and buy anywhere from 51 to 90% of a practice for cash up front. The doctors are going to continue to lead the practices as owners for years or decades and benefit from the resources of a larger partner uh, that can help them grow bigger, better, faster, more profitably uh, with less administrative burdens. And ultimately, the value of that equity that they retained goes up far more than remaining as a 100% owner and independent. You know, the, the business is changing. The key to these transactions is the doctors are not losing their autonomy. They're not losing their ability to make decisions on what they want to do in their practice, who to hire, who to fire, et cetera. These groups truly become silent partners, and they're going to take over some of the minutia like accounting, banking, payroll, benefits, compliance, and payer negotiations. One of the interesting trends is is the payers are getting leveraged by the bigger groups, and therefore the doctors are getting reimbursed at higher rates when they're within an invisible DSO than if they remain independent. And obviously, all of their costs are lower because of the volume buying capability of their new silent partner, the invisible DSO. But we specialize in transactions for doctors in those partnerships, and it's been a really growing concept. We did $612 million of these partnerships last year. And what was most interesting about that number was $102 million were for doctors in their 30s. Uh, this is not a transition retirement exit strategy, certainly not a short-term one, but it is a great opportunity to get the benefits of a big partner and yet keep all of your autonomy. Yeah, so you created or coined the term IDSO, and well, a lot of people, when they hear the word DSO, they think of the name brands out there that you see there's multiple locations in every city that, you know, um, we don't want to name names just because 
we don't, we're just trying to be generic here, but everyone knows who we're talking about. The name might start with an A or it might start with an H or some, you know, national chain and nothing wrong with them at all. It's just a different animal than what most people naturally assume. Am I right? Yeah, absolutely. Very different. You know, there are hundreds of invisible DSOs out there. It's just they're not changing the names of their partner practices because they believe that the equity value that the doctor has built up in his community is far more valuable than any national brand. And invisible DSOs have been around for decades. Uh, What's interesting is, though, there has been a lot of new capital poured into invisible DSOs, not regular branded DSOs. Just in the fourth quarter of 22, over $5 billion was put into just a couple of invisible DSOs to accelerate their growth. And keep in mind, that's invisible DSOs, not regular branded DSOs. And that $5 billion, interestingly, uh, which is part of what's driving the high values we're achieving today, which are at record highs, despite inflation, bank crisis, et cetera, um, the the new capital came from groups that had never invested in dental before, and they weren't private equity firms. That's one of the fallacies in this business is that private equity is is what's driving all of this, and certainly they're a part of it. But uh, over $3 billion of that $5 billion were, was invested by groups that have never been in dental before and aren't private equity firms. So big changes coming. And what attracts these groups to the dental industry? You know, the best way to do that, and we're on an audio podcast, so I can't show it to you, but the chart of dental care growth over the last 50 years has been staggeringly consistent in its growth rate of, uh, I don't know the exact number, but it has consistently grown year over year. And this year, it's going to grow even more thanks to Medicare Advantage, which is providing dental care to people who've never had insurance before. And the the Advantage program uh, is giving patients up to $5,000 paid for, not the old insurance companies of 1500 So, So the reason investors are interested in this category is because of the consistent growth. The fact that uh, the, the dental consolidators, the invisible DSOs and the DSOs, have been consistently very profitable, not just as a business, but uh, in their ability to monetize that, you know, use Heartland, which we all know, and they've had five different owners in the last 20 years. And each of those owners had has made a dramatic return on their capital investment. So it's been a very lucrative space. It's a consistently growing space. COVID proved that it is uh, resilient um, and it's uh, to some degree recession proof. So dental and- as an investment has been been successful. There was a law that Congress was trying to pass a couple of years ago that had dental being pushed or being part of um, something with Medicare and the dental industry fought pretty hard basically to keep the government out of it. And so, and my assumption is once you get Medicare involved, all of a sudden you get price caps involved, but you're saying that Medicare Advantage is, which is a supplement, is now helping dental. So, you know, they don't have really the healthcare regulation that they that physicians have, but they kind of get a little bit of money from Medicare. So it's really helping grow things kind of the best of both worlds is what it sounds like. Yeah. And, and honestly, I don't fully understand it and it's relatively new. And next time we talk, I will fully understand it, but uh, it, it's going to provide a big bump in revenue to certain dental so and dental one, groups across the country. 
So talk a little bit about the fact that you guys only deal with practices with half a million dollars or more of EBITDA. Talk about what the, what the rationale is, what the benefit of that is, and things like that. Well, you know, the reality is, is that a transaction uh, where a, an invisible DSO is becoming a partner with a doctor has certain inherent costs associated with it. So in our typical deal, the we'll call them the buyers, the invisible DSOs, are going to spend anywhere from one hundred and fifty to $250,000 in transaction fees, legal, accounting, due diligence, compliance, et cetera. And so for them, it's far more effective for them to do larger transactions than smaller transactions. So they, as a general rule, are happy to do deals directly with dentists who have a lower EBITDA number because they can buy them dramatically cheaper, so to speak. Um, but in our world, uh, they're eager for larger practices that have larger EBITDAs. And they're happy to pay up for bigger practices, which is why a practice with $500,000 in EBITDA will get four times the value of a practice with $250,000 in EBITDA. So fortunately, because that sector uh, is attractive, you know, when we do a transaction for a doctor, they're going to have a minimum of six qualified bidders. Often they'll have 10. And in the last couple of weeks, We've uh, had practices, one with 18 bidders and one with 13 bidders. And so when you have multiple bidders, it not only increases the value for the doctor, but more importantly, it gives the doctor the option to figure out who they like the best as a partner. Because ultimately, this is about not just how much the last nickel is that you can squeeze out of a deal, but rather who is the right cultural fit for the doctor because you're not getting a check and leaving you're becoming a partner and you're going to live with this partner for the next 5, 10, 20, or 30 years. And so to in our view, uh, we're excited that these groups are interested in bigger practices and yet that there are enough of them that you can uh, have eager bidding contests and get real value for the client. client talk, the doctor. talk about this controlled auction process that you use with clients to help them maximize the uh, price they get. Well, you know, to some degree, it's about industry knowledge. Uh, last year, we did transactions in 29 states with 31 different invisible DSOs. And each of these groups go through cycles as to when they will pay more or when they can't bid at all. And so the key is to sort of understand the landscape. And keep in mind, there are hundreds of invisible DSOs out there and probably a 100 of them that have the capital and are qualified to be bidders on our practices. Um, and so the, the nice thing about the bidding process is um, we functionally start by once a, a doctor becomes a client, we prepare a financial package on the client, and then we'll contact all the groups that we know are interested in either that region or that type of practice, and it changes dramatically. Uh, so I'll, I'll give you a great example. We sold a dozen practices last year to a group that only operated west of the Rockies. And they got a new CEO on January 2nd who called me up and said, you know, we really want to grow. We have a half a billion dollars in new capital to spend. What should I do to grow? And I said, you should come east. Um, and I have a number of practices on the east coast that I think would be a good fit for your strategy. And so he came east and we'll do probably $100 million with that group in the next two quarters. Um, and, and that's a group that was not even looking at anything east of the Rockies until they got a new CEO. 
we did a transaction uh, almost a year and a half ago for a doctor uh, who was 59. He was very eager to get an all cash transaction or not all cash, but heavy cash, 90% cash. Uh, whereas most of these transactions are typically 70, 30, and the range is sort of 51 to 90. And in this particular case, the doctor came to us that I'm 59. I'm only going to practice for three years. While I love the equity story, I'm not going to be around to benefit from that. And so because we knew a group that was about to recapitalize I and mean, they were going to sell themselves to a larger investor, we managed to do a transaction for him at $42.5 million that was 90% cash. Uh, so it's a lot of it's about understanding the timing of these groups because each of the group's goals change on a regular basis. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. And, you know, you mentioned earlier how there's a a, uh, a lot of the sales you're seeing are people under 40 um, because there's just a lot of people who know how to run a business and building practices. And it's becoming, if I could put words in your mouth, not really a retirement strategy as more of a take chips off the table and partnership strategy. Am I right? Yeah. And, and so what's happening because that, that's hundred percent correct. And so what's happening because of that is because more young doctors are interested in these transactions. It's decreasing the number of bidders for doctors that have a six in front of their age. And so if, if you're a doctor who has a six in front of your age, we should talk today, not three years from now. And basically, I'm telling any doctor that's over 55 today that their value of their practice is actually going down every day in my world because there are so many 30 and 40-year-old doctors that are interested in these transactions. It's crowding out the guys with a six in front of their age. And I'm 63, so I hate to say, say that, but it's been one of the most dramatic changes we have seen in the last year. Wow, that's fascinating. So talk a little bit about, you know, I've talked to brokers, and when I say brokers, I mean someone who is not as sophisticated as you guys. And one of their selling features um, to list a practice is, hey, the DSO pays the commission, doesn't cost you anything. Now, you guys don't take any money from the DSO. You, the, the, the seller pays you directly. Talk about why you do that and what the benefit of that is. You know, the, the real benefit is it doesn't create a conflict of interest. Uh, if and, and we, I believe, are unique in that we're the only ones who don't get paid by buyers at all. So what that enables us to do is make sure that we are only representing the interests of our clients, the doctors in a transaction. And what that does is it manifests itself in, A, giving the doctor more options, because we're going to show the doctor to everybody, not just the groups that will pay us a fee, and two thirds of the groups out there won't pay a broker fee. So, so the doctor um, is, is getting short changed by not seeing all of their options, not creating a spirited bidding process, which drives up values. And they have a conflict of interest. I mean, functionally, if you use a broker that's getting paid by the buyer, you know, who is he working for? Is he working for the buyer? Is he working for you? You know, with us, no conflict of interest and more choices for the doctor and higher values. Yeah, that, I think a lot of people miss that. They're kind of short-sighted in that they're thinking, oh, it's going to save me you know, a few percent, but that few percent really adds up when the deal is not structured the right way. So let's talk for a minute. You know. Go ahead. 
It's not just it's not just structure; it's number of bidders. I mean, our competitors are really happy when they can bring you know three bidders to a deal, and we won't take a client if we don't know that we can bring at least six, and sometimes ten, and sometimes fifteen. The yeah, number that, of bidders that would is be, really critical. Yeah, that would be amazing to get like eighteen people as as your or eighteen bidders, as you're saying. Um, so. Let's talk a little about, you know, when you talk to actual dentists, they like to talk about multiple. And I've seen deals where it was a nine multiple, but after, after a third party analyzed a deal, it was really a seven and a half due to financial engineering by the DSO. Um, and, you know, as you and I talked offline, EBITDA is a relative number. There's not a consensus way to calculate EBITDA. So talk about multiples and EBITDA and, and what really matters in the process? Well, you know, a multiple is just a headline number that the doctors talk about at the country club. Hey, I sold my practice for 10 times EBITDA, which is great. But the question really is, is how was EBITDA calculated? When doctors do deals directly with the DSOs, which happens every day, the DSOs call the doctor up, schmooze the doctor, and they end up stealing the practice because the doctor doesn't even know what EBITDA is, much less how to calculate it. And so they count on the DSO to calculate the EBITDA of the practice for the doctor. And then they say, hey, we're going to give you 10 times the EBITDA. Well, how do you think they're calculating the EBITDA? Is it for the doctor's benefit or for the DSO's benefit? And so we see dramatic swings in how EBITDA is calculated, especially when it's done by the buyers. And so one of the things that's important for doctors to understand is while the multiple sounds sexy, the reality is you need to make sure that your EBITDA is being calculated for for your benefit, not for the buyer's benefit. And, And that's what we do. And there's some there's some interesting tricks in that that most people don't realize. So I'll give you a great example of that. We had a um a practice that was doing 4,000 implants a year, a lot of implants. And they were paying $280 for a famous brand implant. And all of the buyers were paying 110 for that same implant. So $170 Delta. Well, when you're doing 4,000 implants at $170 Delta in cost, that drops $680,000 to the bottom line. Some of these groups will give the doctor the benefit of that $680,000 savings when calculating the EBITDA, and other ones won't. So who do you want to shop with? You want to shop with a group that's going to give you an extra $680,000 in EBITDA because they're paying $110 for the same implant you're paying $280 for. So there, there are various ways of calculating EBITDA that even outside the math can matter. We see it a lot in the clear aligner business. Many doctors are using a famous brand clear aligner, which I won't name, and paying twelve or fourteen hundred or more per case. And many of the invisible DSOs are paying eight hundred for that exact same product because of the volume that they buy. And so when you find a potential bidder who's going to give you the benefit of the cost differential, it can add hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars to the EBITDA of a practice. And then when you put a multiple on that EBITDA, you know, it could mean a six, eight, $10 million swing in the value of the practice. So th- there are a lot of, I won't say tricks in this business, but you need to understand how each invisible DSO is going to calculate the EBITDA. And then you have to keep them honest. Uh, we had a, a deal come apart a couple of weeks ago where the buyer was not going to give the doctor credit for the $130,000 in legal and accounting expenses from last year as an ad back. 
And in reality, that's a standard ad back that everyone gives. And this was a 10X deal. So it was a $1.3 million swing in value. So being able to argue the ad back on top of how to calculate the EBITDA is, is really a critical skill. And let's face it, doctors are experts in beautiful smiles. They're not experts in complex, life-changing, once-in-a-lifetime deals. Yeah, that's that's really interesting and why it's such so important to be working with a top-notch group. Well, as we wind down here, tell us what you see happening in the industry. You know, a lot of people said this PE money was all 0% interest rate driven. That doesn't seem to be the case with interest rates where there are now. You told me offline, it's not just PE money, contrary to what people think. So kind of tell me what you see happening in the industry and where is it going? You know, it's really kind of interesting in that I expected as interest rates went up and as inflation went up, and the banking crisis has hit that we would see a reduction in the number of bidders. That has not happened. Certainly, there have been some bidders that have have not participated because of uh, capital constraints or credit line constraints or the cost of money constraints. But those guys have been replaced by new capital that has poured into the business that have fresh credit lines, have fresh capital, and are eager to prove up their theory that they can build an invisible DSO. So, and even you've had some of the old ones that recapitalized and now have a billion dollars or more to play with. And so we're seeing a record number of bidders at record values, which is shocking to everybody. Now, will that continue? I don't know, but the, the, these groups have the capital right now. They are eagerly bidding on great practices at high values. And I think that'll probably continue unless something else happens. Um, but it's, it's a good time for doctors because you have a number of new groups that are newer, newer groups that are well capitalized, have good strategies. And when they can get in earlier in the game, they make more money on their equity. Uh, we were lucky that there were multiple large recaps that occurred in the third and fourth quarter of last year. And we saw over 100 of our clients experience the thrill of seeing the value of their equity multiplied many times in very short periods of time, just because the dental category is still a very exciting place for new capital. And so I think that's going to continue to drive the consolidation. We're probably in the third inning of consolidation. Uh, So there's a lot of runway left. Um, But right now, we have a unique feature uh, on transactions that didn't exist pre-COVID, where essentially groups are valuing your practice today and then saying, hey, we're going to reprice this transaction one year or two years after closing to give you the benefit of your growth in the next one or two years. And that was originally designed to attract doctors in 2020-21 who had not returned to 2019 performance. But they they have remained because the groups have found that doctors who had COVID earnout performed better post-closing because they were racing for a number. And the way we've always structured the earnouts is so that they are part of the purchase price. Therefore, they are taxed at long-term capital gains tax rates of 20% federal uh, versus ordinary income rates, um, which is how you would you would end up if you structured that growth as a bonus. So it's uh, it's a good time to be a dentist. You have lots of opportunities and it's not an exit strategy. You know, this business is getting more complex and the bigger groups have an advantage because they have more resources. 
What do, what do you see as the ultimate, you know, or what, what percentage of dental practices today are DSO owned and how high of a market share do you think they get? Um, you know, the ADA just put out a report actually last week, I think. And, and the guess is around 18% of the dentists are affiliated with the DSO or an invisible DSO. The invisible DSO category is growing far faster than the branded DSO category. And where it will go, you know, a lot of people like to compare it to the medical doctor uh, consolidation, which is today at about 78% of all MDs work for a group or a hospital chain or an insurance company. And I do not believe that dentistry will get that consolidated just because you can't sell a practice that's got a million dollars in collections because it doesn't make any money. The doctor makes a great living, but it's not a business that will be bought and consolidated. So I don't know where it'll go. I don't believe it'll get up to get as high as the MD business, um, but it is going to consolidate. And I, I'll be surprised if it's not 50% consolidated in the next five or 10 years. Wow. Well, Chip, if someone uh, feels like, they, they want to talk to you guys at Large Practice Sales. How do they get in touch with you? They go to largepracticesales.com, and we love to talk to every doctor. Our, our goal is to schedule a 20-minute introductory call with a doctor and have a conversation about their practice and whether we might be able to uh, help them achieve a great partnership. Largepracticesales.com. Yeah, and if you go to that website, the phone number is on the front page, and there's a button to connect with LPS uh, in the upper right, and it's, it should be uh, pretty easy. And if you're in the – I've talked to a lot of brokers and advisors in the dental space, and there are two or three that are head, head and shoulders above the rest, and large practice sales is absolutely one of them. And, and so I highly encourage you to have a conversation if you're in the market to consider a transaction for your practice. Chip, I really appreciate your time today. I, this has been a really interesting conversation. Thank you for yours. I appreciate it. And uh, I hope everybody has a great week. You've been listening to the Financial Flossing Podcast with Ross Brannan. This has been another episode of Financial Flossing with Ross Brannan, guiding dental professionals to a brighter future. If you liked what you heard, consider subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. For more on Ross Brannan, visit rossbrannan.com. Ross Brannan is a registered representative of Coastal Equities, Inc. and Investment Advisory Representative of Coastal Investment Advisors, Inc. Investment advisory services are offered through Coastal Investment Advisors, Inc. and securities are offered through Coastal Equities, Inc. Member FINRA, SIPC, 1201 North Orange Street, Suite 729, Wilmington, Delaware, 19801. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.